our 68th episode of Absolute AppSec, which I'll explain in just a second. But I'm uh, at CK Tricky, Ken Johnson, um, joined by my co-host Seth Law, at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome once again. I, I think the the you know 68th episode here, I think Ken's going to go into the explanation of what happened with 67. And it is live, right? We finally pushed that out. Um, but we did have another episode there that we recorded while we were in Vegas that, you know, shockingly enough, you know, crappy Wi-Fi is not a good way to upload video to YouTube. But anyway, um, it's there now. Uh, and But we're, we're going to talk all things DEF CON today. We've got Jerry Gamblin with us once again. You know, this is this, what, umpteenth time being on the show, I guess, or something like that. I think it's only, I think Jerry's only been on here twice, right? Three times, I think. Three times, three times. Sorry. Oh, shit. Sorry. Five percent of shows. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> He's well, our Jerry most popular was guest. Jerry was sitting next to us when we were at the uh, when we were all meeting up and decided we decided on the spot that we do uh, since we were all drinking we decided on the spot we would go do a, a podcast in Vegas with Stefan and uh, Bobby from Trail of Bits. And, uh, yeah, things ever. <laughs> Let's go do a podcast right now. <laughs> Yeah, that was it. Was like, well, we're drinking. Let's go do a podcast. This makes sense. Let's go. Yeah, let's go talk about Kubernetes and stuff. And super technical because you know we're in Vegas and it's DefCon. Yay! We didn't bring any equipment. Now's a good time. We did it on your iPad Pro. <laughs> we had a you know janky iPad stream, but the audio comes out okay. So I, I you know, I, I it was interesting. You know, it's, a, it's an interesting one for sure. Just talking with those guys about what they did with Kubernetes. So if you haven't listened to it. Go listen to it. Let us know what you think. Or don't. That's fine, too. It's super professional, right? Yeah. I mean, episode 67 will eventually be uploaded once we figure out, because I'm about to... Oh, it is. Like, it is if you have word. kids in the room, get them out of it, because I'm about to use some <laughs> curse words, because fucking YouTube decided they were going to kill Hangouts on August 1st. And what that meant was that um, basically... Seth and I had to find an alternative. So if you see in the, oh, I do see it actually. I'm looking at the YouTube live stream. You'll see powered by StreamYard up in the upper hand, upper right hand corner. Um, that'll go away once we actually pay for this. We're just trialing it to see how it, uh, how the software works out. But yeah, I used uh, yesterday Wirecast and Zoom and a bunch of other stuff to try and figure out how to make it work. And thank you StreamYard for uh, making it pretty easy to actually set something up. So kudos to them and screw you Google for removing YouTube <laughs> or sorry, YouTube, whatever. Like, you know what I mean? Screw those guys for removing hangouts. That's a bunch of BS. So, and giving no alternative. That's my biggest issue is like they gave no alternative. They're just like, Oh, we end support and yeah, you're asked out. Like you got to figure out how to do stuff now. So anyways, Twitch or any of those competitors, they don't own Twitch, but, well, Seth brought up using Discord, which is a possibility. Yeah. But um, the problem is, is like when you're already, this is the smart thing that they do. They put you on, they, they get you on the platform. We've got a following, we have subscribers. And um, then it's just a pain to move over to a new platform. Yeah. But um, yeah, maybe we'll put out a poll and see what people want. See if they want to change and prefer maybe Discord or Twitch or something. 
Anyways, uh, let's get let's let's get let's move forward with the uh, the podcast. <laughs> anyway, so this is Jerry's third time on the podcast. If you don't know Jerry, uh, Jerry is a good friend, but he's also a pretty badass security guy, as I like to think of him. Um, he, I mean, the thing with Jerry is uh, we've said it before on the podcast. He's always putting out new tools, new research. He works for Kenna Security, um, and also I saw a picture today, Jerry, of you, like that you tweeted. Um, of all those badges, you like the traveling you've done this year, you're going to, you said you're going to like London five more times, I think this year or something like that. Five times at the end of the year. Yeah. It'll be, uh, it's, it's a lot of travel. Uh, it's not a, like, I think I I just was on Twitter. I think it'll be two conferences a month is about what I'm averaging. So about six days a week. Once you do it for business and not fun, you change the way you travel a little bit. So a lot of it is in and out. Like, my boss Ed Bellis is like the master of of it. Like I've seen him fly from Chicago to San Diego to give a talk, and then red eye back that that same day. Right? Like it's it changes how you do it. I love to see our customers. I love to talk to our prospects. But I'm not going to 24 conferences a year. Like I go to DefCon. I'm you know I'm coming in. I'm, I'm it's part of my job. So it's a little different. Yeah. Nonetheless, travel is travel, and you said you're. So for what, it, cause you said you you might be ca- catching some of the crud. What I did was I took, and I hate to, to even admit this because Mike McCabe, I give him such crap for doing kale smoothies, but I did kale smoothies and slept not last night, the night before for 12 hours. And I yeah. feel like that really helped with keeping the crud away. Cause I was starting to get it too. But then after sleeping a bunch and like, you know, eating good and not like just getting drunk and eating crap food in Vegas, you know, yeah like ended up recovering. So pro tip for anybody out there. My key Vegas is make them bring a humidifier to your room on night one, right? Like go to the front desk, like, and they'll do it. They have them like, I end up with, bron- I used to get bronchitis like every time I came back, but you know, I have another week in Vegas this year still for AWS reinvented three or four weeks a year now out there. It's crazy. Seth, do you have any, that's by the way, I had no idea that they would bring a humidifier up to your room. But like, that's interesting. Yeah. Seth, do you have any like things you yeah. do? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like I always tell myself, hey, you know, first night in Vegas, don't go overdo it. And then you always overdo it the first night, right? Um, <clears throat> like I, I don't have as many, many problems with the whole dry air thing, but that's because I live in, you know, the desert as well. It's more of just the, you know, the the constant walking and you do dry out a lot more, especially if you're drinking or anything like that, that you got to be careful with. Um, but getting enough sleep is a huge thing, but you know, it's way too easy to stay out until three or four in the morning and then try and get up the next day at nine o'clock or eight o'clock to go see a, you know, see talks and stuff. And it just never works out. <clears throat> take a down night. That That's a key. Too. It's, it's like not, not a night where you don't do anything, but a night where you know, you can do something low key. You'll get a dinner with somebody or something. Like, yeah. Because yeah, I, I do. I didn't do it this year, but I do like to get off strip too, right? It's always fun to go find like a local, a local place that has good reviews. That's not necessarily right on the strip, but, and then you feel like a normal person again. Because yeah. you know, sticking around the strip, you just you you come to hate humanity. At least you know that's that's kind of my default. Uh, you know, you get too many people around and. Oh my God. Remember at the, uh, we were, you and I got out of Hofbrauhaus, uh, thir- I think it was Thursday night. Yeah, it was Thursday night. 
and there was like all those drunk people and there and it was just like all right i gotta go just hopped in the uber yeah. and that's like, they're staggering their parties now right the microsoft researchers party didn't start till 10 o'clock on thursday night like after everything else it makes sense i guess if you want attendance you do that right but their party went from 10 to 2 so go to a party from 8 to 10 and then you get on a bus to go to microsoft's party right like it's literally all night. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's, uh, yeah. I don't know. Well, I, I mean, we, we I'm, did not, I'm no longer 22 oh, or whatever, right? Yeah. <laughs> You're not? <laughs> I'm, hey. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's the, I think that's the thing though, right? Like the community isn't as young as it was and it's not trending young. Like if you just, kind of walk through DEFCON, like you're seeing 30 year olds like us, right? You're not seeing yeah. when, when I first went it, and maybe it's just, you know, visual bias or whatever. But when I first started going to DEFCON 10, 15 years ago, it seemed like there were like 30 was old, right? You didn't see a lot of older people, but I guess as people kind of grown up in the industry, the median age has kind of moved up. Yeah. Which, I mean, what you expect, right? I, you know, just people that are more experienced or, you know, have been in the, I, yeah. I mean, the industry is older because when we first started doing things, it was just, yeah, it was small. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think the count this year was something like 29,000 is what they ended up with as far as all in for uh, DEF CON. So, and they're just expecting it to get bigger, right? It's, it seems pretty crazy, but that's the way it's going. We did the Hacker One event on uh, Friday night, and well, really into Saturday morning. So we, when once we were done, it was like not quite four o'clock in the morning, but just I mean on the cusp. It was like maybe three forty, three forty-five a.m. Me getting back to we were at the Encore thinking when when I got back, it was kind of be like oh you know there would definitely be some people out, but like kind of just drunk and like kind of tailing off. Nope. Full tilt, full tilt. Like the night was just starting people going in there. I mean, the whole rest of the time we were there, anytime we went for an Uber, it was like pretty much immediate to get dropped off and to get picked up. There was a line so bad that we couldn't even make a left turn into for a while into the hotel. And by the time we sat there for like 15 minutes waiting, we just decided to get out of the car early. We we're like, all right, this is ridiculous. And then we get up there and it's just people inflowing and out. It was just nuts. I was like, and they, they look like they were just starting the, the night, which is the, the, you know, I'm like dying at that point. I'm like, oh, how are you people doing this? But anyways, you know, yeah. Good times. So, but so you're saying that security researchers are all younger than us? Is that what you're saying? You know, actually, so that's the thing. The I was going to say the hacker one on that note, like the hat for the hacker one event, um, it, it was a good mix age wise. Um, I usually expect people to be younger only because the, 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 you know, we've talked about this before. The statistics say that the average bug bounty researcher is between one to five years of experience. Now that doesn't necessarily equate to age. I mean, you could decide at 30, fuck this, I hate my job. I want to do something different. That's totally feasible. Um, and, and people do that. But like, uh, you know, it was it was a good mix is basically what I'd say of age ranges for the the hacker. I don't know if that's what you're asking, but yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that was what I was asking. But, you know, you also expect like some of those guys that have been doing it for years now and have the have the whole process down again, right? Trending older. Right, right. 
So uh, what was your favorite thing at, uh, that came out of um, DEF CON or your top couple things, uh, Jerry? Or did you guys uh, just posted a link in the private chat? The, the gemstones on the DEF CON badge, like they sourced those in Brazil or something and then like sent them to China to be manufactured and brought them back, right? Like when I first got the badge, like, oh, what is this like marble fake Vegas thing on here? But like, Outside of the actual technology on the back, the the gym and like how they sourced those was fairly amazing. So, so I, I thought that that was pretty cool. Uh, the car hacking village was neat this year. They had a bunch of cool stuff going on. They gave away a Tesla that they had to destroy. I still haven't figured out the story on why they couldn't give away the pristine Tesla or whatever. But had to be used. They had to they destroy it. I, I don't know. Random stuff to it, weren't they? Yeah, they were like dropping bowling balls on it or whatever, and that ended up being the prize. Like, I don't know. Like, I never got the full story on what that was about. Um, the Aviation Village uh, was new this year, which was great. Uh, I talked to those guys quite a bit. Um, I've been doing some personal research on pilot controlled lightings because I live next to a, or near an airport. Uh, municipal airport and come to find out you can turn on the lights at the airport with like a yardstick one like because to turn on the uh, airport at a light you just key the mic like three times and they all come on so i haven't done it yet but i i really want to but i also don't want to go to prison so i'm trying to was, <laughs> <laughs> and they said that just because you can't turn them on you can't turn them off turning them on is is open and that was the way it was designed with no encryption or whatever. But like, if you wanted to, you could go cost your local city a bunch of money by turning on their lights all the time and <laughs> running up their electric bill. So it was yeah. that. And then the AppSec Village that launched this year was absolutely amazing. I gave a talk there on Saturday and um, Jim Anico came and, and gave a couple of talks and it was way uh, smaller space than they needed. I think next year. Oh yeah. But yeah, like I went up for for a bit during you know like Jim's keynote or right after Jim's keynote, right the the first one launched. And I was like, dang, the line out the door was just huge, and yeah, they just they just didn't anticipate the number of people that'd be interested in it, right? Which is good. The the other thing that I want from that, right? There was like, I mean, there were some really good talks that were going on there. Um, like I'm hoping that they'll expand out into more CTF space and some of the other things that you expect from DEFCON. That's the that's the only thing that I was hope that I was hoping to see. But I know they started kind of late in the game to get any of that off the ground, um, and there is a lot of that already going on with the command and control and other CTFs and contests that are going on. But um, yeah, they need to figure out how to do like the aviation and the uh, automotive village and the marine village did and like kind of come together with the blue team village, I think, and kind of run some joint CTS and, you know, have your own village, have your own speaking spot, but have one space. But I don't even know how any of that's going to work. Cause where do they announce that they're going to that brand new? Yeah. It's called what Caesar forum behind or the something world. like that. Yeah. It's, it's where, it's where the huge parking lot is right now. That's behind, well, link and Harris right there. Um, th that's pretty optimistic, right? That's what I've been seeing on Twitter. They're like, uh, have you ever seen building projects in Vegas? <laughs> right. They, they never complete on time or in under budget, but, 
Um, yeah, it's a huge parking lot. Supposedly it's going to be huge, con con you know, conference space. I was looking at the specs on it. Looks like it'll seat at least between the two different main halls, like 20,000, like in those two main halls, plus like there's a couple others. So they'd be able to run a lot of it, like at least the tracks there, I, you know, and maybe all four of the tracks, I think the, the, that size is enough and they could open it up for the, you know, opening and closing ceremonies. But I, I'm pretty sure the villages and some of the other stuff will still be in maybe Link or Flamingo that's right there next to it. So it took me, I don't know. But. It took me like 35 minutes to walk from the Absec village, which was in Bally's, to see a talk in the crypto village was at Planet Hollywood, right? Because oh, I know. There's no good way to do it. You had to get on the strip and walk walk basically down the strip to get to get over there yeah it wasn't that was not ideal at all i mean you know doing the hacker tracker stuff that was one of my biggest complaints i was like man like there's no there's no continuity between those three hotels right there's yeah. Yeah. well i mean there's four hotels I mean, paris and bally's at least has got the internal but planet hollywood and flamingo you got to go out on the strip you got to cross all the way over lights and everything else is going on so it, like that felt very disjointed because if you did want to go to Blue Team Village or AppSec Village that was up in the Flamingos, like you had to dedicate, all right, I'm going to spend a couple hours up there because it's not worth trying to run back over if you wanted to see a talk somewhere else. I've got a couple funny stories about our one. So two stories about hotels in Vegas. The first one, because you used to mention a link and that's an interesting thing because like if you go, if you stay at the link and you get a, like a, a suite, Know that there is a door that goes to a second bathroom in your suite, which I did not know until so my which is super important if you're a couple. My wife were and I were in Vegas just for like having a good time, um, not for any like conference or anything. And we were in that hotel room for um like probably a day or two before one day she just got curious and opened the door. And by the way, I know that as a hacker, I should be more curious and like try and open the doors that you're, you know. But anyway, so I didn't, she did. We found out there's a second bathroom in there. So uh, it's not obvious. It looks like the door to the next room. So that's, if you're ever at the link. So the start of that story, you can go to Vegas for not a conference. Is that a lot? Yeah. It is. Yeah. You can go there just to see shows and eat good food. It's, uh, it can be a good time for not a conference. Um, I know some people hate, it's people are, it's a very polarizing place, Vegas. Like some people hate it and some people love it. Um, yeah, I don't really know. The other thing I was going to mention is that it was really funny is I, uh, so I was talking to one of the, uh, hotel employees and, um, I was at the encore across from the encore there. You had mentioned construction, Seth, of a new building. There's this new red casino, but it looks like I asked, is that a part of like encore and win? Cause win and encore are like the, you know, they're connected and they're the same uh, owner, uh, the win wins or whatever. Anyway. So, um, so what's funny is, she laughed when I asked and said that that was actually um, like she pointed out that about 30% of it was had like in between each floor, there were um, there's like white stripes, but like 30% of those white stripes were in different patchwork places painted black. So I guess what had happened was that the owner of the win, like the win and encore, it's their thing to have the floor separated by white stripes. So this hotel that's shaped very similarly is catty corner to it. Uh, but red and pretty much looks like it, but it's red uh, has like this patchwork of black because they have, they're having to repaint over because the owner of the win and encore is so pissed at them for looking like win and encore. So 
that's the other funny story on yeah vegas casino hotel shenanigans <sighs> it's weird but anyways yeah so jerry what have you been up to man what is the latest what is the latest research you've been into shifting gears here not so subtly a little bit of container work like trying to get into go a little bit um Container research, uh, because my work at Kenna has become a thing for us, we're starting to, to look more at that. Uh, so I'm spending time trying to figure out why containers are so bad. And a lot of it is because Docker isn't great, right? Like, I, I got a nasty gram from Microsoft because they have one of the top 100 containers that they've depreciated. But Docker Hub has no way to let them depreciate it, right? So they pretty well abandoned it. So we had a so I had a big long discussion with them. Like, you can't say you're appreciating something when you've just decided you're not gonna update it after this date. And they're like, well, if we remove it, we could break like people's workflow processes. You have this built in and we don't want to do that because we're bad. So so you have a bunch of big companies that are kind of at this point where they have stuff that they don't want to support anymore. And but if they pull it down. People are going to use it or going to break it. So it's it's the open source problem that everybody has, right? Like, how do you abandon a popular software package gracefully? Apparently, you just deprecated on August 1st and you screw over your podcasters is how you do it. <laughs> Someone's bitter. <laughs> Allegedly, that's how you do it. No, there is probably not a... Well, here's, I mean, having an alternative, I mean, I can tell you having an alternative uh, available is probably the biggest thing, right? Yeah. I mean, not just leaving people high and dry is like the big part of that. Well, the problem is at least like, because if you, you don't know who's using it, you don't know how it's baked in or whatever, because they moved from one .NET container to their new .NET container, but they renamed it. And like the, the other .NET container, the 4.5 or whatever the new one is, or core, is being updated every day. And it has very little vulnerabilities. But they're like original .NET container is still running a super old version, has a bunch of CVEs in it. And, you know, they don't want to pull it because they know people are actively using it. So I guess you yeah. just rip I mean, I don't know. It, it, it's, one of those, it's one of those questions. Do you hurt people by not letting them have access to the software or do you hurt people by letting them run vulnerable software? Like, Yeah. I mean, I would say don't let them run vulnerable software would be probably the answer, but you know, that's, I don't know. It's that's the, that's the utopian version, but I, I don't, I don't know. The more we do this stuff, the, the less there is a, a black and white to it. The more the gray, they go, the more gray I see, the longer, 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 uh, Working blue team, I'd say blue team specifically gives you a different v outlook. If somebody does a little bit of programming, like you go and pull a Ruby gem that does exactly what you need, but it hasn't been updated in two years, you're like, Oh, do I use this? I need this tool. It would take me a day to write this, but obviously, this guy didn't finish this documentation and he's not coming back to this, right? Yeah, I mean, somehow it depends on how complicated it is too. Because like, because you're saying a day, and that might actually be your expectation, and then you know you get into it, and you're like, oh shit, like this is actually going to take longer, which is most software projects, right? So then you're like, oh, all right, well, it might turn into five days, and then there's some uncertainty, and then it's like, is it worth it? And yeah, 
Whereas you're like, you're saying it's already there and it's already working. Yeah. And that's for a side project. Then you try to insert that, that library and do an enterprise project. And you're like, Oh crud. Like how do you stop people from, from doing that on the enterprise side is another thing kind of like that I'm trying to figure out. Like, and I think I've had Adam on before from NPM talking about yeah. uh, software and stuff. And it's, it's such a difficult problem that nobody saw. Yeah. What's interesting for what <laughs> the, the thing that was interesting about talking with Adam was he was like, yeah, you're probably the least of your concerns is backdoored libraries because that does happen, but it's probably the least of your concerns. Uh, you know, there's probably a, a million other apps that concerns in front of that. And I, and I thought about it after that show and like, he makes a good point The even if you, even if you're, I mean, even if your library is backdoored, um, you know, you can upgrade and then you just kind of try to reduce, like, you know, figure out where the damage is, but it's not great, but it's just the likelihood of it happening is not, I mean, I look at some of these gems that have come out or these NPM modules that have been compromised and, you know, at work, like whenever we do, we've got a chat ops step. So we run some chat ops commands and uh, shout out to, to Phil, who I work with, who's done a great job with that. Um, we run some chat up commands to see if you know, we're, we have any systems running these vulnerable packages. And more often than not, no, we don't. It might make the news. It might be a huge thing, but we don't really run them. So, yeah. The likelihood of it being compromised in that way and then also you running that software is probably on the low end, whereas it's pretty high that you're going to introduce all kinds of other vulnerabilities. And then depending on the framework choice and the language choice, you could have other problems that are just the way that these things work. Yeah. Most of my issues is you get a, you get a gem, a Ruby gem, and it has a CV that somebody's found and the person who writing the gem isn't coming back to fix it, right? Like I've seen those issues like, oh, this function and this active record or whatever has a vulnerability and the active record guy is like, well, that was written for five. I'm doing that. That's built in on six now. I'm not coming back. I don't have the cycles or the free time to come back and patch an NPM five or you know a gem for five, right? And it's it's that software bill of you know bill of materials that everybody's talking about recently that's become such a big deal. Yeah, do you want to do you want to explain the software bill of materials? Because um, I don't know if anybody's really discussed it on this show, Seth. No, I don't think we necessarily have. I don't think we've ever gotten into it. It's, Software build materials, and I'm not an expert, but I've sat through three talks, so I'll act like I'm one. Is just <laughs> five minutes a day. That's all yeah. it takes. It's it's just a list of a list of components that you use to build build a software package, so you know what you're bringing onto your network, especially for closed source software. So if if you know if you buy software, if you're the U.S. government and you buy buy private software, commercial software from someone, they have to tell you what's used underneath to build it, right? So Electron or whatever, so that you, so you know what you're bringing onto your network so that you can have that chat ops spot be built out and said, hey, I know that while we bought this license plate software from this company, here are the four major things it relies on. So let's watch that for, for vulnerabilities. It, it just allows you to know how your software is built. Like you, I guess, a Hardware bill of materials is what's inside a piece of hardware that you buy. 
Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Uh, it does make sense. And by the way, I did post a link to uh, like a Wikipedia article on it. But yeah, I mean, it it, it makes sense. But like the only thing that's uh, kind of weird is just when you get into vendoring, it's like the thing that's a little bit scary about it is um, about vendoring is that how like basically how quickly these libraries become out of date or maybe there's something sort of um, discovered in it, but not like a CVE gets released. So meaning, you know, yeah, you, like a, that, you just took, you just took my sore spot, right? Like a common numbering for vulnerabilities and AppSec and libraries is impossible. I love GitHub. I'll tell you that. But like you guys bought a white clear or whatever. And now yeah, who's the WC, the one with the gears and the hat on top of it. I don't, it's white. Are you talking about white source or whatever it is? Yeah, whoever you guys just bought and brought into the to the GitHub alerts, right? So well, we we actually brought a few people, like the Dependabot. Uh, yeah, it's White Source, um, White Source, and then um, Dependabot, which is supposed to be like a automated cleanup, I think, or something like that. So White Source has their own numbering system, right? So I got an alert on one of my repos, and it's like, oh, here's this and this gem, and here's the here's the common denominator, like WS dash something. I'm like. That's not common. That's that's yours, right? Because then I'm like trying yeah. to figure out the three other companies that have this and run it back to to a central database so that we know, right? Like this CVE system, as broken as it is for for vulnerabilities on infrastructure and software, doesn't exist for software. Doesn't exist for applications at all. And it, it per, professionally and personally, it is such a such a hard thing to deal with because. Nobody is talking a common language when it comes to vulnerability because these companies yeah. see them as as into, as data that they own and control and, and what differentiates them from from their competitors. Yeah, and I mean, that's even if something gets released. I mean, there, there's definitely the case where, you know, People will find stuff and say like, hey, uh, like meaning developers themselves or teams of, you know, maybe several people working on an open source project will be like, oh, I noticed this or a user will report something and they'll start digging in and be like, oh, actually notice that you could do this thing and that's really bad. And they just silently patch it and then that's it. Nobody ever heard about it. So like if you're using a, a an older version, yeah, because it's vendored specifically, then you don't know, you know, it's one of my favorite GitHub uh issues is in the device uh, Ruby authentication gem. There was a guy yeah. who spent six months trying to get a CVE, found a, found a bug for, for DOS and, and device. You know, they fixed it in like three days. He then spent the next six months like trying to talk to people in the issue like, hey, how do I get a CVE? How do I get a CVE? And knowing how, how this works, like nobody knew that CVE was in that software and they patched it. They're waiting for the number to come so that the Ruby Stack DB update, so it then breaks their CI platform, so then they patch it because so many people are built on tooling that says, hey, I'm going to run this gem in my application, and if there's not something that says, hey, this is bad, either with a CVE number or even a white source number or anybody's numbering system, it won't set a flag. No, yeah. Well, and, you know, Speaking of device, like something Seth and I talk about in our course is one of the examples we show of how, because like, have you ever looked at the device source code at, at all? 
I try it's, not to. Oh my God. It's so ridiculously full of metaprogramming, which makes it incredibly hard to follow. So like using it's pretty easy, but then actually tracing down to where, so I think we, we give an example in the course where we're like, yeah, you know, part of our authorization checks, uh, authorization sections to check. We're like, figure out the authorization and where it's defined. And uh, we're kind of jerks about it. Cause we like, uh, I know we're giving away some, yeah, some stuff, yeah, whatever. Yeah. But like long story short is we make them figure out where this stuff is at and then they like have to go down into the library and it becomes pretty much unless you really, really, really know Ruby and it's to prove a point and it's to talk about something and it's to, there's a specific reason. It's not to be jerks, but you know, that's kind of anyways, long story short, that code base is so complex that like finding a bug in that had to be super difficult to even understand what was stuff, what certain stuff was doing. Cause like some of it makes sense straightforward and other stuff is like, like the example we show, it's like, wow, that's a lot of metaprogramming. It's, which is if you don't know what metaprogram, not you, Jerry, but if people listening don't know what metaprogramming is, it's just code that writes code. So at runtime, the there's mutations in the code based off of what, what's happening. I'm a terrible inputs, player. variables, whatever. What's that? Sorry. I'm a terrible programmer also, so it's fine. You can you can explain it to me eight times. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's yeah, it's uh, just a weirdness in them utilizing Ruby's um, functionality to the to the fullest. And uh, it's really hard to read. And Rails 6 still isn't out from my knowledge, right? Like it was supposed to be on April 1st and it's still not officially out yet. No, well, not it, yet. It's, I don't it's, think so. It, it's that number six, you know, it's like Python took a long time, Rails, it's it's just, you know, just expect it, right? Like it's supposed to be this panacea and then they realize that it's hard to get to please everyone and so it never happens, right? Oh, oh my God, I was dying laughing at the Hacker One event. They had people come up at the end to talk about, like to present what they found. And one of the pre per per person slide, and I wanted to send this to you, Seth, it goes, Ruby is the is the new PHP or something like that. And I was like, oh, and they did that in front of the GitHub team. We're like all Ruby. It was hilarious. I was like, damn, that's not even a subtle troll. That's like right in your face. That's cold. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's cold-blooded. I was like, whoa, nice. But it was funny. I laughed a lot. He needs that slide for his next LocoMoco sec talk. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Ruby is, is the new PHP. PHP. Yeah. yeah, I mean, because of all the metaprogramming and the, the, the deserialization and then turning the you know stuff into objects based off input and just all the crazy things you can do. There's a lot of ways. There's a lot of, as Mike McCabe says, there's a lot of foot gun in, uh, in uh, Ruby and uh, yeah, Ruby and Rails. So trying to learn Go, it's no better, right? Like Go, list all your, your, your variables at the top here in an unstructured list, and then we'll just call them in order through the rest of your code. And I'm like... Yeah. <laughs> well like it's it's like with node you know the whole callback the callback bit and you know not being line by line execution and i know it's gotten better with uh like the uh, the whole like flow control they introduced with like a weight and um, i forget there's another thing like besides a weight and i can't remember and it's like basically make sure that something returns before executing the next set of code, which is like the only kind of flow control it had. Cause previously it was just like whatever ran first ran. Like it didn't, there wasn't a line by line execution. So strange, which leads, which yeah. leads to like serious bugs just because of that. 
Well, yeah, I mean, it's weird vulnerabilities. It's design choices that people make as they're implementing low level things. And they don't necessarily think about what's going to happen to the programs that are building on top of that. It's like, it's more about, hey, well, this is kind of a cool design and we can see the usefulness of it, right? From a stream perspective and actually executing code, NPM is, or, you know, node is so incredibly fast because of that choice that they made. And yet it causes all those other issues. I don't know. I, like, I, I did want to go back to the bill of materials a little bit, right? You know, like if you remember, I don't know. I mean, you've done CTFs and if, if people have done CTFs, you see bill of materials often and like all those packages and things like that, that, you know, that get released. Or if you're developing software that is delivered in a package format, you're, you're, you're pretty familiar with what bill of materials is. Um, but we do, we do have a problem with, you know, exactly what you're saying, right? As far as identifying the vulnerabilities in there and actually like fixing them or having a streamlined path for fixing them, right? We've got a streamlined path for building the software and representing that this is what's in it, but we haven't necessarily figured out a way to, to patch those without releasing a completely new package. Um, I mean, yeah, but yeah, say that again, Jerry. Decoupled patching. Yeah. I, I mean, Microsoft seems to have figured some of that out, right? Because a lot of their patches are decoupled, right? Like it's very much a, hey, this is the bill of materials and this is the binary patches that we do, but it's binary patching, right? On the the open source side, we don't necessarily do a good job of that. And it's probably because we just haven't been forced to. And But you, you, you can see it's coming, but I just don't know how, how we solve that problem across all these different platforms. It's going to be interesting, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, outside of that, like, I know Evan's done some aviation stuff as well, but that wasn't, like, during DEF CON. Um, AppSec Village, like, what else did you see at the AppSec Village that you liked? Uh, there were some good DevOps talks and stuff. Like, I mean, to be honest, I was having a conversation with somebody, and they, you know, to put it bluntly, they said Charlie Miller ruined DEF CON. And like I want, I want that shirt. His no more free bugs thing has really changed how DefCon operates over the last six or seven years, right? Like you went out, Ken, for for a bug bounty bash, right? Like I know, and you weren't the only one. There were three or four of those back to back to back. People are getting paid on this stuff now. So the days of going and seeing somebody drop a zero day at DefCon, even in a Sky Talk, are over because. Those are valuable now, right? You can make a living selling those those bugs now, which you couldn't do five, ten years ago. So bringing those bugs to DEF CON and showing them off was a way to get some credibility or whatever, but now it's 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 not that way and it's really changed. Well, yeah, because you can build up your rep and your um and your bank account basically at the same time. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. Oh, you know, which was super cool. Like I had like a little bit of a fanboy moment. Speaking of, I got to meet at the hacker one event speaking of like, so the guy who wrote that ticket trick and found, and like basically made tick that the whole like ticket trick thing, uh, in T got to meet him and actually work side by side through a couple things. Um, and it was just like, 
I don't know. I had such a, yeah, I had such a, like, a, I was like, oh, by the way, I've, I've read your article like a thousand times. Like, super cool to meet you. I'm such a dork. I'm like, you're so cool. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's like his reps, you know, already pretty awesome just from having, you know, dropped those on, I think it was like Google and Slack and a bunch of other companies. Um, and then posting it, you know, after the, the, the doing the, the bug bounty disclosure and then you know getting a permission to write the article having written the article now you know having used this same bone on multiple companies which is what a lot of these good bounty hunters do they focus on one or two things and they just reuse it against different companies and in different variations and then next thing you know he's invited and paid for to go to vegas to be at this event and like you know up there on stage at the end of the night holding up a trophy and a paycheck and you know everything's getting to show the cool stuff that, uh, that he did. And yeah, it's like, that's where it's at really, honestly, that's where it's, you know, giving a talk. It's cool. And I totally respect it. And I think that's awesome. If you're like, you know what, screw it. I'm not, I don't care about the money. I just want to like, but you can do both. You can build up your rep and make money. You make a really good point that I had not thought about until you brought it up. You just can't give good talks. It's it's because I was talking to somebody like, if you're trying to figure out how to do responsible disclosure and a talk at DEFCON or Black Hat on a bug, it's either going to be stale by the time you get to there and it's going to be patched, not going to be impactful, or you're going to break it, right? Because to get somebody to, to say, so you have to like find the bug in February and have it line up just perfectly and still get accepted to get up and give a meaningful bug presentation and do and, and and do the right thing by the vendor. It's it's impossible to really zero days. I've kind of come to the conclusion of. Well, yeah, I mean, even the stuff like that uh, James Kettle was talking about, right? You know, like all of his research, he kind of he timed that pretty well. Um, but those that were in the industry and were paying attention already, you know, you kind of had a you, you had an inkling of what it was going to be about, right? Yeah. You know, just based on the other stuff that was released and. Um, yeah, like I'm with you as far as you know, it's it, it's hard necessarily to to release an O day or like a zero day there. It just we don't see that as often anymore. But the in depth research, I, I don't know. Like I, I kind of played on that on Twitter. What you were saying, Jerry, about the Sunday talks, right? Yeah. Like, like the guys that are speaking on Sunday have done just as much research as the ones that have done that are speaking on Friday and Saturday. But they just drew the short straw. But like I like I'm going to these talks and it's like empty, right? Like it's pick your own seat instead of wait in line. And there, I mean, that's when Kettle spoke was on was on Sunday, and there was a couple others that I was like, like I'm looking around, going, this isn't going to get the representation because it's just not the first day of the conference. And as somebody um, who spoken on the last day of a conference, it's hard because you spend all your time like. You spend all your time working on it and you show up and there's four people and like, man, like I have 10 hours per person in the audience here on this talk. Right. Like, yeah. Yep. And yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not on the, the CFP board, but like they're not putting all their bad talks on or they're just made it talks at the eight o'clock slot on Sunday. It's luck of the draw. It seems. No, it, it totally is, right? Like they, they're just like, okay, this is the track. They lay it out. They throw, you know, I mean, having organized conferences before, it's like you're not necessarily, like when you're putting that schedule together, you're not thinking, hey, guess what? I know everybody's going out drinking on Friday night. So like Saturday morning, we need to be light. It's, 
yeah. dang, this person's this person's research was awesome. Like this will be a draw. Maybe we'll get more people in if we actually drop it there. So yeah, especially it's when you're a hard percent of your talks or whatever, right? Like whatever DefCon said that they they accepted. Yeah, yeah, and that's like so. I mean that that that's a you know takeaway that I had once again is just like hey, guess what? Maybe, you know, play it light on Saturday night just so you can actually get into the talks or, you know, Friday and Saturday, if you just want to watch it on TV or whatever, or visit the villages instead, that's probably a better way to handle it because, you know, some of those lines are still crazy. They're always going to be. There's 29,000 people there. Um, what was it? Justin was saying something on uh, yeah. Slack about that, right? Yeah, my new goal I did, is, I yeah. is to skip. You just don't run into people anymore. Is to find someone else to do on Friday at DefCon, talks on Saturday and Sunday, and then villages Sunday afternoon, right? Like you in the villages on Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, you can actually see the stuff and it's and it's actually enjoyable. So many people go home on Sunday. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and even su- Sunday afternoon, right? Like I know everybody, you know, everybody's got a flight out Sunday sometime, and so they're they're headed to the airport or whatever it is. I don't know. I, I did seem to run into more people on Sunday. Uh, than I did on the other days, just because there were so many people there the rest of the, you know, Friday and Saturday. But on Sunday, I, you know, I ran into, you know, four or five people that I was hoping to see that I just hadn't seen, like, they're, they're, you know, a, a, across the rest of the conference. So, how many times did you update Hacker Tracker during? during oh my the- God. I saw you, you were always on your laptop. Yeah. Dude, that, that was my, that was my whole time. Like, we, we were talking about it as, because we did have the ability to update real time. So any of the events that we pushed out automatically. Did he freeze for you too, Jerry? Okay, I think he's frozen for you. My stream has been not necessarily that great. Yeah, no, but it was awesome how much work you put into that. I, I really enjoyed the hacker tracker. It was great to have it on my phone. The maps were especially useful. Yeah. Yeah, and that seems to be what I use it for. But, yeah, like we streamed a bunch of stuff in. We were trying, you know, yeah, we got, I don't know. I, like there's always improvements to be made. And, you know, Apple has been better about actually pushing updates out. I was actually able to push an update during the conference this year, which is the first time that that's happened from an Apple perspective. Um but yeah, I mean, it'll get better. Maybe we'll start trolling more people with it or actually tracking hackers somehow. I don't know. Oh, gosh. Asking me to rate it. Like, do you like hacker track? Like, no, I just want to play my game. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not as good as Candy Crush, better than others. But, you know what I will say is nice about DEF CON, like seeing a change um, is seeing like more of more AppSec stuff represented i mean i know the appsec village was like smaller than it should be but it's nice to see because i don't know if you guys felt this way but i felt for a long time that appsec was sort of like kind of just like the having been a redheaded stepchild <laughs> i know what it feels like <laughs> that's kind of how i felt like uh appsec was at defcon like it was always you know network pen testers or red teamers or physical this and lock pickers and stuff like that and then appsec was sort of like yeah, we do security too. We're here, you know, the just hobbyists, a very smaller group for a long time. The hobbyists are always going to be there, right? Like the, like the lockpick people and the people who are doing stuff for their hobbies. But like, just as general community, AppSec is, is going to be 
eighty percent, right? You're seeing you're seeing almost a polar shift of what it was because of AWS. Let's just be. I mean, cloud has changed it. Ephemeral infrastructure, where where you know you have a script that can spin up a web server in ten minutes and it'll spin it up patch, right? So the days of having getting into somebody, you know, four year old web server running IIS is nominally over. So I see this all the time. So everybody is now focused on AppSec because that's where everybody's going to make their money over the next 10 years because breaking into laptops, zero days on Mac OS and Windows are, are, aren't going to be a thing. And it's going to be, can I write a one-off for this one application to get in? Yeah. That I mean, is the I custom that. stuff we've already talked, we've always talked about, right? Like that's, I, I mean, I think, you know, that's what, Ken and I, like even you, Jerry, like that's kind of what we've built our career around is the custom software that people write. And it, it hasn't been represented. Uh, there is a there, there is a big, obviously there's a need for it. I mean, you look at that line to AppSec Village, you look at the other conferences that are out there. Like I did want to give a shout out to the OWASP. You know, they have their, like they have their booth or whatever in the vendor area. Um, and that was constantly packed when I went by talking to them as well. It's just like, that's, everyone kind of sees that need. And so there's an opportunity to actually talk about it and push into that space a little bit more than we have in the past. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, I think Chris Gates talked about this the last time we had him on the podcast where he's like, yeah, I have to learn to program really well now because that's where, cause he, and he's talked about this privately too with me is like basically all the cool stuff that people find around him that he works with or because they pulled apart source code and figured out a bone. And like, he wants to get much better at the, cause if you know anything about Chris, like he definitely can put code together that does stuff. He can definitely script stuff up, but like, um, there, uh, you know, there's definitely a difference between really knowing the ins and outs of programming versus being able to like write scripts that do things or glue together several scripts that do things. And uh, he's trying to go more in the direction of like, for that reason is just because they're, because code power is basically everything right at this point. So, um, I mean, I know that's, you're probably saying like, well, what, what's changed? We have, we've always had code, but it, it's kind of what Jerry's saying here. It's that, I mean, we're pushing infrastructure with code, um, configuration files and there's less and less of like being a you know hardware data center person and more of like okay i use these different tools with configuration and code to like push different things and like the the data center is the cloud and they worry about more of like the physical infrastructure bits and and whatnot so yeah like i think the, the issue that i run into all the time that wants to make that i want to be a better programmer for is like if you see a gem that has a vulnerability, it's not this gem is vulnerable all the time, no matter how you use it. It's this gem is vulnerable if you're using it in this class and this call. And it's nice to be able to go and look at the source code and say, okay, yeah, we use this gem, check one. Okay, do we use this specific call in this specific way that they're saying? And that's where you have to know, right? It's it's no longer just knowing, yeah, we use this gem, it's vulnerable. We, we're going to get hacked, right? It's like, if you're not using the call that's in the CVE, you don't have to ring the bell and break your CI to patch it. You can be like, okay, we need to get this on the list, but we're not vulnerable to this thing. And so many people, and myself included, aren't there yet who didn't start with it, who have to get better at, at that kind of in-depth code knowledge. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I mean, they're, yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because there was one that just came out, like, I think it was maybe Noko Gear or something like that, or it was like, yeah. if you use it in this certain way, then, you know, you're going to have a bad time, okay? It's basically that situation, so, yeah, um, definitely does help to understand code more. Um, you were going to, one thing I was going to ask about is you had mentioned, Jerry, that something about null license plates, and I had no idea what that was in reference to. Oh, dude, that's, that, that was hilarious. Yeah, we should talk about that. So uh, uh, a hacker from California tried, decided to get the word null, N-U-L-L, on his license plate as a vanity plate, thinking that when he got a parking ticket or whatever, it would be entered as null, and then when it <laughs> Um Except it worked and reversed on him. So... Anytime a, any police officer in the state of California had misentered a license plate in their database, it changed it to null and shipped this guy $18,000 worth of tickets. <laughs> that sucks. Oh, that's hilarious. That sucks so bad. Oh, it's my God. So that's good. amazing. Yeah. Oh, I got to find this top. Oh, I did. I, did. I just linked it in the Slack channel. So we, I'm going to put it on here and then, uh, or sorry, wrong one, pin it to the video, which is, by the way, a nice thing that, again, shout out to uh, StreamYard for giving us this ability to, like, pin stuff during the video. That is so hilarious. So, like, you guys a hacker because the favorite thing is, like, at the end, like, the state of California works with me, like, hey, we need you to change your license plate so this doesn't happen. And his answer is no. He's like, <laughs> 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 he has to fix your damn code. Dollars of tickets. Because his paint didn't work. Now they're like, "Hey, you should change your license plate so this doesn't happen again." Not keeping it. He's no. like, "No, you can change your shitty code so that it does, so that you like this doesn't ever happen again. Like, you can <laughs> properly handle exceptions." That's hilarious. Like, and I didn't know that. You, so, so you can even if they tell you you should, they can't make you say like they can't make you like, "Hey, this license plate's not." I'm not. I don't. I think that after. It probably wasn't expired or whatever, but after you probably got it wiped off, they're probably like, it's probably a good idea if you change your license plate to something that this isn't going to happen on. Change it to nil, N-I-L. Yeah, exactly. Well, so I thought it was original, but like I tweeted this last yesterday and it blew up because that's what tweets do. And somebody uh, in D.C. had their plate say no plate, which is also that, like five or six years ago, and got the same thing. So they had customized plates that said no point. They ended up with twenty or thirty thousand dollars worth of parking tickets. So, so basically, if you if if you want to like fight the man and show you're clever, maybe don't don't pick the null or like don't pick the condition that ends up taking all the. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, let's you know, yeah, rude is better or whatever, right? Like null zero, something that maybe maybe doesn't end up costing you more money. Oh, I mean, that's because, but if you, I wonder how, I wonder, does the article say how much of a pain it was to fight those tickets? He went to the DMV, he said he called the LAPD and the DMV and like, it ended up being, a, of course, a third party citation company's database issue and they were able to fix it. Like, he didn't have to go to court or anything, but like. It, it flipped around, right? Like he thought he was going to be smooth. Like all hackers are right. Watch this. And then, you know, next thing you know, he's has $18,000 worth of tickets showing up at his house. Which at that point, I mean, you're, you're getting, you're in the neck of the woods of like a, getting a warrant out for your arrest at that point. I mean, that's scary stuff. I mean, could you imagine just like having the police show up at your house and you're like, what? 
eighteen thousand dollars. You're, try, you're try, uh, trying to explain to the beat cop why yeah. you know you have eighteen thousand dollars of parking tickets. <laughs> well, actually, it's a you, software issue because I use null, which is like represents an object that has no value. <laughs> They're like, whatever, kid, get in the back of this cop car. You're going to jail. Man, like I tell people that all the time. That was one of my takeaways from Vegas, right? It was like if you're gonna do serious security research, you have to have a lawyer on retainer. Yeah. It's it's cost of doing business today, right? Like a good lawyer will do a thousand dollar retainer, five hundred dollar retainer, just so that when you get that first email from a big company who has a thousand lawyers, you're not trying to respond to it yourself because yep. like you know. Hey, lawyers are really snarky in their comments and stuff that I would never say back in a reply, they will put in there. Yeah. This is fine. And B, I don't want to go to prison. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, you know, you bring up a good point because Seth and I both had to deal, deal with this before where we like, you know, um, had, had to engage with lawyers and, uh, and basically like, the thing is, they're so one. There they are. They're like a great buffer, and they're a great. They know what they can get away with saying, and what's going to be, you know, okay, and what's crossing the line. But uh, so they they do like take care of some of that stuff for you. But also, it's really interesting because um, when you introduce that, you know, like any any veiled threats or any vague threats or anything like that. Um, yeah, you can just like there. The lawyers will be like, "Yeah, that's bullshit." Like according to law, this is bullshit. There's nothing they can do. And that sucks, and that's really empowering. Like, I definitely think you should always, um, at least have a good lawyer's name on hand, depending on. Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Like, it's good to have lawyers around. Like, if you find a good lawyer, um, they're gonna save you a lot of a lot of heartache. So. Don't and they're not that expensive. I think everybody thinks like, oh, that's super expensive. Not that bad. Not that bad at all. Nope. So and don't trust it's, yeah, it's, it's better than going to jail. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I love my employer as one of the best employers in the world, but they have their legal team. And like at the end of the day, they're their legal team, right? Like I do this some research on my own, so I want my own legal team. They'll help when they can, but at the end of the day, like I love being able to to Email my lawyer and say, here, oh, look, so-and-so company didn't like that blog post I wrote. Like, here's what I did. You know, she'll respond to it and take care of it. Like, it, it's as bad as it is, it's part of doing business as a security researcher in 2019. Totally. I mean, it, it is It is the reality. It's, like, good to have. And, uh, yeah, if anybody knows of any, like, good specific uh, – yeah, I mean, I'm happy to, to – I think Seth and I would be happy to mention any lawyers um, that uh, – would that specialize in helping out researchers um you know we could even because i know we've been talking about putting up a blog with some information and uh oh crap we should probably hurry up because there's only six minutes left and you have a hard stop seth uh so was there anything else i just want to make sure we we get to everything you wanted to talk about jerry before i love that idea i'd love to see you guys bring a lawyer on i can give you a a recommendation but i but i don't know if she wants to to do i think one hacker as our client is probably enough, but like, if you guys know somebody, that'd be great. Yeah. I'm surprised there's not somebody, not a law firm at DEF CON taking retainer. Well, I mean, yeah, that I like, you would think so, but like the EFF I know, but to engage the EFF takes, that's a different kind of level, right? Yeah. It's like, Oh crap. You're getting like, you got some huge company coming after you. Um, yeah. And I know they'll they'll support lawyer uh, you know hackers for you know no cost. That's what like all the EFF donations go for. But 
I don't know, having a, ha, being able to call somebody up that that I know, and I'm like, dude, I was doing this research, and now I'm getting these letters because I was scanning shit, and he's like, oh, oh send it over to me. And then yeah. he responds, and it cost me fifty bucks or hundred bucks for him to like respond to it, and they just go away. I, 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 like that's invaluable, right? Um, if you have so, a recommendation, yeah, we we'll have to find some people. Yeah, if I, I just wrote it on my board. I'd love to. I'd love to have a lawyer who specifies or special specify specializes in helping out researchers on the podcast. That would be, I think, Seth. You and I would love to pick their brain and and just like to discuss the, yeah, discuss the value in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah that'd be good. So, so we got yeah. four minutes left now before your hard stop. So, uh, yeah, like, mm. um, what else do we want to discuss with your remaining? several minutes <laughs> jerry any last minute thoughts like anything on defcon that you wanted to bring up i'm going to be doing stuff with kenna security and that's what i was at, like kind of wondering if you wanted to talk about any of that stuff or we're gonna get the app stack we're, we're, we're really trying to crack the app stack uh, bubble and it's hard and like i kind of whined about some of the issues that we're we're having earlier in the show right like common naming like is is impossible in an app stack and and being at a company that deals with all the tools and everybody calling a vulnerability something else is is one of the is one of the stumbling blocks I see moving forward for for the industry, right? Even even CVEs are not CVEs, sorry, CWEs are are just as bad, right? There are thousands of them. Um, there's one CWE that is bad code quality is the CWE. So like yep. I was like, let's just call everything. It's like 487. Like, okay, this is all all bugs are now just this CWE. Right? Just yeah, yeah. Just throw it on every single vulnerability report because it, yeah. it 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 does. It's valid, right? You may as well. So. I feel like that's a that's a finding Stefan would put out. It's just like your code is <laughs> shitty. Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure that was, that was. I'm pretty sure that was in the Kubernetes report. It definitely <laughs> was. That's we talked about that in that last episode. It definitely was. Uh, that that report was so amazing and not because like they ripped on not because they like ripped on folks it was just amazing because of like the 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 unprecedented visibility into an assessment and its results the communication back and forth and then the final product end to end you see this this process and it's like that is amazing and then we we had we had them on the podcast they talked through all that stuff so that'll be at some point we'll upload that no, it did. It it's it. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jerry. I am amazed as somebody who knows how the BDIR is written, knows how our reporter are written. Those two guys wrote that report themselves. That doesn't happen. There's normally a team of editors and marketing people and everybody in the background doing that. And like talking to Sam, he's like, no, I just, we wrote it and like turned it into a PDF and do it on a blog. Right. Like, yeah, no. Um, actually, we brought that up in the episode that you had mentioned that to them that you're like, hey, did you have PR write this? And then they said, and by the way, Seth, since you mentioned it was already up, I looked, found the link and it's like pinned now to the video because I didn't realize it was already up there. But, um, but yeah, so they, they, yeah, we talked about how you'd mentioned that, Jerry, at the lunch or the meetup about the PR bit. And then, um, yeah, like the... Uh, the fact that they had done it all themselves, but um, yeah, I, I know we have to wrap it up because Seth, you got to hop off. So um, yeah, is there anything you wanted to say, uh, Jerry, before we hopped off? Nope. Hope to see you guys in Hawaii in May, I guess. Like, Hell yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sure we'll see you somewhere else before then. So For yeah, sure. there's this conference, Seth. It's in Hawaii. Uh, 
For those that are just listening and not seeing the video, Seth just gave me middle fingers. So just saying. Two of them this time. Two of them. That's, that's, that's how we're rolling today. No, we've got um, uh, Global DC. We've got Global AppSec DC here in a couple weeks. We have, after that, Amsterdam. You and I both booked flights for Amsterdam at the end of September. You and I are both training in Australia for AppSec Day Melbourne at the end of October. And then finally, I think the last stop for this year is December, London, Black Hat, Black Hat, London. Um, uh, December 2nd, I think, is something like that. So, um, yeah, yeah, busy year. Well, no AWS for you guys, huh? No, 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 no. <laughs> is it, I'm is all that November? It's, it's, that's not far for me. Like, that's that's one of those, like, oh, reInvent is just down the road. I could go for a couple of days. It's not First through the fifth. It's when it's it's uh, over. Yeah. Nah, then yeah, that won't happen. There's there's no way. You guys are <laughs> killing the air miles this year. I'm gonna have to stop. <laughs> Is it yeah, Australia? I'm gonna I'm about to hit platinum, and then I'm definitely gonna hit 1k on United this year. And Australia is like gonna easily put me over 1k. So, which if you don't know, for those listening, who don't know that's like 100. Basically, a 1k is a hundred thousand miles or or more in a year. So. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right, guys. Lots of travel. Guys, have a good day. All right. All right. Thanks, Thanks, Jerry. No problem. Let's do it again. Right. Hell yeah. yeah. All right. Later. Bye.